Hi everyone! Before we start the show, I wanted to ask that if you like what we're doing here, you might consider donating to keep it moving onward and upward. We have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon and a PayPal at paypal.me backslash Hegelbon. $5 a Patreon will get you bonus episodes, but even a dollar helps more than you can imagine because no cartridge is funded by listeners like you. Thank you. Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter, and I have with me one of my longtime friends from Twitter, uh, Peter at Lightscript, uh, or if you follow his Twitch uh, exploits at nice underscore underscore Pete. Um, Pete, nice to nice to have you here, man. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're here to talk to us a little bit about um, well, something that actually I think we haven't talked about since uh, Ed Zitron was on, maybe like. 30 episodes ago uh and and even then sort of about like not quite this uh which is microtransactions uh purchases in game uh things like that right yeah um something that's definitely happening right now in the community i'm most familiar with uh, is destiny 2 uh it's become a big topic of discussion and of course it's not just limited to us um it's something the industry as a whole is dealing with on almost every level yeah, it seems like it seems as if like the the microtransaction thing is this response to, um, and and you know it's it's one of those things that's really hard to to, to work out because um, well so the response to this response seems to be to uh, increasing costs, increasing demands on on game producers, uh, the fact that AAA studios have to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to produce these games, and then of course need quite a bit of. Uh, quite a bit of a turnover to make a profit. Um, you know, it's hard to say though, whether or not just like in baseball, when you don't know whether or not the uh, owners are lying to you or not. Um, although in baseball, you can always just assume they are um, <laughs> <laughs> like in, in gaming, it's, it's tough. Like you, you have devs and uh, companies saying like, I'm sorry about the microtransactions, but it's the only way we can stay afloat. And you have gamers saying, like, well, absolutely not. Like, you can stay afloat. I just gave you $50, $60 for your game. And, like, it just seems to be this new frontier of the the conflict between profit and enjoyment in video games. Yeah, absolutely. And something that has been brought up in this discussion before uh, that I've seen in various places is like you're talking about with development costs and everything that's going on. I mean, AAA titles are still around $60. You're still having to like get the consumer to pay the same thing, which is already a fairly big commitment, but now you're trying to find new cash revenue because you have to have so many more developers spending so much more time to make these increasingly more realistic and like fully rendered games. So I I understand where they're coming from on a certain level, but yeah, of course. I mean, like there's this, it's hard. I mean, because you're you're really between a rock and a hard place with this. Uh, this is something I talked about. Um, I forget I, the, the episode will probably be up before we talk. It, it might be. It might be when I talked to Scott Benson or um, or uh, one of my other guests. But like, it, 
this concept of um of like over promising right um the idea so no man's sky is a perfect example of this This has come up a million times when like the (laughs) right like the devs said it would be like something that it just couldn't possibly be like they sold it so heavily as this amazing thing that like sounded impossible and of course was impossible but the flip side to that is how else do you sell games other than promising people the moon um so somewhere between promising them the moon and actually being able to provide something that resembles it is this cost uh cost dilemma Right. And you are excited because you've got a vision and your developers are saying, yeah, we can do it. Let's do it. And then suddenly, like you said, you're up against this wall like, oh, man, this is way bigger than we thought. How are we going to pull this off in any kind of meaningful way that shows value and is what we wanted in the first place? Yeah, exactly. And so I guess like I guess on some level, um, microtransactions seem reasonable. I mean, one of the so like the game that that uh, Ed talked about was Fortnite and having now actually played Fortnite. Oh, it's a great game. Um, it, it is a great game. It, it, it's kind of lovely. I uh, I'm I'm probably more of a PUBG person at my at my core, but um, I feel both games can exist. They both sort of touch different elements of the battle royale thing. And and Fortnite's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful game. Um, and there are sort of like microtransactiony stuff, but it's like it's stuff like you'd see in TF2. Like it's it's like. Um, hats and stuff or like outfits or, or whatever it's not yeah, like skins and things i think it's different yeah. because at the core there we're talking about a free-to-play game for the most part and that has right. to support itself in one way and like you said on like some level I, I agree with certain kinds of microtransactions that being a really good example like i got this game for free or like uh warframe which i haven't played yet but there's stuff you can buy in the game but it's a free-to-play game so right. exactly yeah, they gotta they gotta do something i understand that yeah, but like, there's also this level. I mean, the, and so like, uh, Star Wars Battlefront uh, Two is like the the other example of this, where people are like, I got my kids. I, I a buddy of mine actually was talking to me about this, and he was saying like, should I get my kids Battlefront Two? And I was like, well, you just like, I mean, basically you'll buy the game, and then in order to unlock elements of the game that your kids definitely gonna want, you're gonna have to pay more after the fact. And he was like, how much? And I was like, well, it'll depend. Um, and that element of uncertainty, like I bought this and now I need to unlock more of this. I think that like, I think that just kicks into something that feels deeply unfair, like almost in our lizard brains. Like, well, I already did this. Like (laughs) I already own this. Why do I have to rebuy it? Right. Certainly. It it feels certainly exploitative because especially when you're coming, like you said, on Battlefront, like it's a, it's a full price game, uh, from a triple A studio. It's big. Big time. It looks great. I'd like to play it. But at the this point, you're getting someone like me who is interested in picking it up, going, you know, I'm going to punt to the spring. You know, there'll be a DLC out and I'll get it at like half price. And hopefully I have this all sorted. Exactly. Yeah. And like that's that's the it, it seems on some level. And I'm glad you said DLC because it seems on some level that the kind of like DLC balance has tipped too far over into like uh, necessary game elements. Um, I mean, this guy complained about uh for a long time but the one i'm remembering right now is um is mafia 3 when that came out people were like well it just feels like the game shouldn't have come out like it's glitchy it's not finished um and this happens sometimes like people put out games and then they kind of like get finished over time either through dlcs or updates but most times dlcs like thinking about a game like dark souls um there's you know the 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 artorius uh dlc that that's pretty interesting um but certainly, like, it's minor. Like, it's a little add-on. It's something that if you loved the game, you would buy. And I think, I like, I, sort of like it's platonic ideal. That's what DLCs should be. They should be, like, 
man, I love this. Like, I really, I really want to play more of it. I'll pay a little more to play more of it. Not, I really want to play this game. So I guess I have to buy the, the next level for it. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm playing Assassin's Creed right now and apparently there's a new DLC either has come out or is coming out. And it's like one of those games where I could see myself purchasing it because while I haven't beaten it, I really enjoy being in that world. And it hits Mm -hmm. that point where it's like, I would pay to go back into this world for more new stuff, not flesh out the original game that kind of probably should have been better. And I'm not saying that about Assassin's (laughs) Creed, but, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that's, that's a good way of putting it. Cause it's like, it's not, it's almost as if like initial initially DLC was meant to sort of because you can see that you can see the sort of noble idea behind DLC where it's like, boy, you know, I really wish you hear you hear creators talking about their games or like, you know, someone's it's, you know, a creator talks about Earthbound or a creator talks about like a Legend of Zelda game for the Super Nintendo or whatever. Right. And they say, like, I wish I could have added this thing. And, you know, fans think about it forever. They're like, oh, what the, what would have been, what would it have been if they could have like gotten their full vision in there? Right. Um, exactly. And basically DLC is like this way where you could say, like, OK, yeah, here's the director's cut. I finally got this thing done um, and I'm adding it. Like buy this thing, you can see what the rest of the world's like, and that sounds great. And but it requires a player actually really caring about your product and choosing to indulge more in it, which is like much more uncommon than asking. It's much more uncommon that you'll get a sale than if you ask the players like, "Hey, um, please, you know, unlock this content that you're going to need to enjoy the game properly." Please come pay to beta test my game. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, so, like, I, this is why it's so hard for me, because, like, I get as a gamer, as, like, someone who plays games, like, why that feels like a betrayal on some level of a particular sort of contractual agreement. Like, okay, I bought this. Like, when you buy a game, it might be bad, it might be good. You sort of take your life in your hands that way, but you get the whole game. And then I also see it from the, the dev's perspective of, like, well, how do we keep making ends meet? Um, that's tough. That is tough. That is tough. And it's one of those things that uh, studios are starting to bank on, or at least gamble on, it seems like, because, um, just referencing the game I play most, uh, Destiny, like, I know a lot of other studios are doing this, like, selling the full game with a season pass, like, as a pre-order. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you're, you're picking your best customers and saying, we know you're going to like this, you know you're going to like this, buy this for a little bit cheaper, you get everything up front, and you just get it when it comes out. So you better deliver the goods when it comes out. You know what I mean? Because otherwise they're out extra money. And then they're just, it, it's like you don't want to get bitten kind of to the sour taste in your mouth about it. Yeah. Uh, season passes remind me of stuff like um, you see on Patreon sometimes where like people will uh, promise certain things or, you know, not so much Patreon as much as uh, Kickstarter. Because Patreon, I think like a lot of the promises that people make on Patreons, my own included, where like, you know, you get these promises and it's sort of like loose. It's like, well, I can focus this much more into my art or like maybe I'll try and do this or whatever. But like you'll get something like a Kickstarter and they're like, yeah, you know, for $50, I'll send you this. I'll send you that. Like I'll send you this other, uh, you know, personalized thing. And it just, it like can't happen or they can't make it work. Right. And and it's so disappointing for people who pledged when they don't get their stuff. I think like this is the same thing, right? Like it's it's this pledge of yeah, extra content's coming that you're really gonna like, so you're gonna want to buy the season pass. And then like if it doesn't come or it isn't good, 
you are that much more invested in it because they kicked the can down the road. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's something that um, can happen a lot now, especially because like we were saying earlier, like games are getting more more complex and harder to make. And especially if you've got a big studio backing you, um, they've got you on a deadline. So you've got to deliver. And if it's not done, then you're just kind of hoping it holds together until you get a DLC out. Right, exactly. Um, and like the, it, it's what's kind of fascinating to me, and then we can get like into Destiny, is that like the the time in which like this has changed, right? Like I, I always think of when I hear about Rush Studios, I always think of the, and it's maybe apocryphal, maybe not true, but the story about how uh, Majora's Mask was made um, and how like Majora's Mask was just this response to the fact that the Ocarina of Time was so popular uh, and such like a big deal that Nintendo basically told the Zelda studio, like, make a new Zelda uh, in a year. And it just was like this absurd, <laughs> this absurd amount of time. And so they made Majora's Mask, which like is kind of perfect because, you know, practically speaking, it keeps repeating itself. So a lot less work to do. Um, and then thematically speaking, the idea of the, the sun, the, I'm sorry, the moon crashing in on the earth. Uh, if you don't, you know, finish things in a three day period of time uh, is certainly emblematic of that crazy request. Um, but Majora's Mask was a, hmm? It's very on the nose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I mean, Majora's Mask was made in a period of time where like that's experimental. It's taking a risk, and it's either going to be great or a flop. And you know, it didn't sell as well as probably they were hoping it to. It's I'm sure they're happy with the critical response now. But yeah, it's like you take a risk. Now it's like okay, I can put this thing out, and if it doesn't work, I can bank on the six other releases I'll get when I release the DLC. Like you, you sort of get these, these chances to, to re to get your first impression over and over and over and over again. Like we'll bump up the steam reviews. We'll bump up the actual critical response and more people will buy it. And it just, it feels a lot different. It feels a lot less. Um, I don't know. I guess it feels just a lot less like the gaming purchasing method that I remember from when I was a kid. Well, especially with the advent of the internet and being able to download patches and updates and things, like every yeah. game for the most part is coming out sort of unfinished, almost with no exception. I mean, there's great games out there, absolutely, but if there's a problem, they can be like, all right, here's how we're going to ship it because we've got to like print these DVDs and Blu-rays and send them out so people can put them in their consoles or whatever. And if there's a problem, like maybe we've got a day one patch. That's super common. It's yeah. a, it allows them some more flexibility, which is great, but it also, I think, can depending on the studio lead a little bit of laziness in design right i mean you see this in i, I saw the that complaint in uh wolfenstein too but bethesda obviously is a is known to be sort of a nose for the grindstone studio even if they take a while to do it and like uh, they got ironed out pretty quick like you just hear uh, the initial buzz when it first came out was yeah maybe you shouldn't buy this right away and then you know very shortly after that game of the year buzz and so like that's kind of your ideal version uh I feel like shifting to Destiny 2, and maybe you have something, uh, I'm sure you have an opinion on this since you play the game. I would say some people would say Bungie is the anti-Bethesda in this way, like in the way of making their fans happy with their patches and DLCs. Well, it's certainly a studio that people care deeply, passionately about. Um, it, lately, 
I, I didn't really play much Halo, but I definitely went all in on Destiny 1, and now in Destiny 2, I was one of the people that bought the season pass before, you know, when I pre-ordered the game. So I'm definitely the market for that, um, for what they're trying to sell people. Um, if they did it in Destiny 1, or they're doing it again in Destiny 2. Like, it's weird that we're seeing this repeated mistake of things seem unfinished, and then they basically get super quiet about it. They don't talk, and then they occasionally like will put out information, and people are, like dying for this info. They're like, "Bungie, please talk to us." And then we get it. We're like, "All right, Bungie's doing it. This is going to be great. Thank you so much." And then <laughs> more time goes by, and it's quiet again. Everyone's like, "Bungie, talk to us." And then they'll drop a DLC, and it's just like that that cycle. It's interesting how they choose to do, at least how they choose to go about their communication with their customer base, and what to what what to expect from them, and what they're delivering. Yeah, that makes sense. I it's it's you know, it's it's interesting you describe it as a cycle too because like the 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 expectations around studios, I mean, that's something that's never changed where like if a studio, I'm thinking of Square, like I think Square went through kind of a, a rough patch in I'm trying to remember like maybe in, maybe right after its PS1 kind of glory days. Um where like the games weren't as good all the time and like I I remember people sort of being like yeah, you know, this this has all the problems of the recent Square releases. And then they'd be like, but maybe the next one will be good. And then they got the feedback and they got the sort of previews of the next game and they get really excited and then they'd be sort of let down. And like that kind of cycle of belief, uh, constantly trying to kick the football is something that I think gamers are um, particularly prone to, let's say. Well, absolutely. We've got something that got us in the first place from a studio or a particular game series. You know, it's like, okay, this is great. Here's what I'm doing. We start subreddits. We've got, you know, groups on Twitter. We've got discords for it. We've got friends that we've invested time with that we want to keep investing time with. And so anything that shows us a spark of light because we're passionate about it, we're going to probably give them benefit of the doubt and dive right back in. And I find myself sometimes making excuses going or even self-deluding. This is better than I think it is, Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's, it's like the, yeah, it's, it's like the sense of how could it possibly be bad if I've spent so much time on it? Like we're not, which is sort of a way of what you're saying. I'm kind of just repeating it, but like you look at how much time you played. I talked about this with, um, with, uh, with, uh, Lena on, um, an episode a long time ago with Lena, who's uh, El Bushi on online. Um, and like, she was saying that you can you can click backslash and uh, I think it's like backslash time or backslash play or something like that and find out in World of Warcraft how many hours you've put in. And there's oh, like yeah. this, it's this deeply difficult thing of like, well, I put all these hours in these, these represent days of my life that I have spent on this particular app or game or whatever. And like to to admit that the thing is bad or somehow not what I wanted means admitting that all these days were wasted. Yeah, and it, it makes me think immediately of when the Phantom Menace came out. When I was uh, I was in middle school or early high school, I don't remember exactly what year it came out. But my sister and I went to see it like on release night in the theater together because it was something that was like Star Wars, like most people is deeply important to us. And so we left the theater. We we're like, oh yeah, that was great. And then it sunk in. We're like, that wasn't great that wasn't great at all. Like it's just the, all this goodwill that they've garnered up from us over the years is just sitting there like waiting to be used as a resource and we want it to be good. So we're, you know, you your brain does these uh, like acrobatics making it good. Yeah. And I mean, this is like the, the kind of, um, and I won't, I won't speak to, is this one, this how you felt when you saw the last Jedi or. 
Um, the Last Jedi, I have some thoughts about with a capital T. I thought it was extremely <laughs> enjoyable. Um, okay. I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm like, I'm way oh. behind the times because I have a kid. Okay. Well, I, you just I, yeah, never, we never get sense. out. But uh, yeah, so. I was no, about I, to bring but, up a plot point, so I won't. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, I wouldn't be able to speak to it, and then I'd just be furious. But uh, absolutely, no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be able to speak to it though. But the um, yeah, I mean, Star Wars is a perfect example, and like the the thing I I the the weirdest moment of this for me was when I um, well, I mean, with Star Wars was one of them where I sort of convinced myself into thinking that uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith were good uh, for brief periods of time in my life. Um, but then also, like, I think about I think about watching, and I think I've brought this up in the podcast before, but watching the Blair Witch Project, where, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Blair Witch Project, uh, the first one. I have not. But, I don't do horror movies at all. I'm a wimp. Okay, well, so I don't know how old you are, if you're my age or much younger, probably much younger. Uh, no, I'll be 32 like, in March. Oh, okay, so you're my age too. Um, great. Uh, I'm happy, happy early 30s uh, to you as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, uh, I mean, Blair Witch, so like when Blair Witch came out, you may remember like the big sort of stir about it. The idea was, oh, it's actually found footage. It's real. Um, yeah, which was cool. And you know, yeah, it's really neat. And like the idea was like, oh, they just found this VHS. Um, and then you find out like, you know, okay, it's not actually real. These film students made it, but the idea that it was real made it so scary that, I remember I went to see it. I was pretty young uh, for horror movies anyway. Like, and, and I certainly hadn't seen a lot of them. I think I was like 14 or 15, but I would have to check. But in any case, um, I was watching it and it wasn't that scary because mostly it's just like people wandering around the woods. And I was like, why isn't this scary? But I kept <laughs> amping myself up and being like, I'm going to get scared. This is going to be so scary. I'm super scared. And like the last scene of the movie is actually pretty haunting and pretty scary. Um, they do a really good job with that last scene. And I was scared out of my mind, like existentially scared by that because I amped myself up so much the whole time thinking like I should be scared by the stuff that isn't scary. Um, and I think that's like that's like one of those weird things that if you and I've done this before, it's certainly not uh, judging you for for having these weird relationships with uh, games that you think are, you know, really good, but also not as good as they should be. Um, mm. When you play a game that's kind of like, quietly brilliant or like a short sort of like perfect little concise thing after you've put in 80 hours in a game that you've been trying to convince yourself is good it's that same sort of like immediate rush where it's like wow this is really good and part of it's just because you've been inundated in this thing that you've been convincing yourself about the whole time oh yeah absolutely there's definitely that that part where you've just been uh watching like the reveal trailers and like maybe you went to like the launch event or something or got your hands on a copy early if you're like a journalist or something and um especially if something like speaking specifically about destiny 2 where the bone structure of the game is absolutely fantastic there's lots of mm. really really good things about it but some of the meat on the bones is just lacking or not there so initially you're going through like wow look at this world they've done a really good job with the narrative this time that's different from last time and then you know, like like the first 60 to 80 hours, which is a really good set of time for most video games where people yeah. put it down and move on, was great. The rest of it, though, which is where the vocal and hardcore community spend, like the, the people that are going to be the most diehard customers, the people you want to keep on the line for you, is where it starts falling apart. Now, um, there's two things there that I'm really interested in. And the one is this question of Endgame and and the arc of, of Destiny. But before I forget the second one, because I think it's a little less less uh, central, 
this question of like hardcore fans and like the people, as you say, you want to keep on the line, um, which is a really good way of putting it uh, in terms of Destiny 2, like, I wonder, is it true that for AAA releases like that, that you actually do need those diehards more than you need sort of like the casual people who will play 20 hours of the game and drop it? Like, is it better to get the people who are going to put hours and hours and hours in and like you like stream on Twitch and become like super good at it? Or is it more important that you just kind of like fire broadly, like shotgun blast style and just get people to be intrigued and pick up the game? Well, that's actually really interesting. I think if you are trying to make a bunch of money at once, you want to fire broadly and get the casual people that want to pick it up and maybe not even finish it or, you know, just like play it, be like, oh, that was neat and put it down. You're going to get all the upfront money. You're going to get even that bought the game. People are going to be talking about it for a little bit. But if you're trying to maintain, especially because Destiny signed like a contract with Activision, and I might be misremembering if it was with Activision specifically or not, that's who they're with. But um, it's a 10-year game. They're going to be making this game for 10 years, and it's going to be like an ever-evolving world. Um, So if you get just the casual people up front, you make a bunch of money. It looks great for a little while. But when the the vocal community, the passionate people start figuring out there's not much going on. You're going to start getting a lot of internet uproar. Like the subreddit is on fire almost all the time now. You got Kotaku articles coming out going, here we go again. Like I think it was literally called the Bungie merry-go-round spins again because they just keep coming back to the same point. And it's at some point, it's a really bad thing to get bad press because then you're going to start seeing casual people like, well, why would I want to buy that then? That sounds awful. Yeah, right. No, that's true. And like, it's, I guess like the, the diehards are the ones writing the press to begin with, um, for the most part, uh, I guess like, so this actually leads very well into my questions about destiny's end game. I'm not a destiny, uh, player. I have destiny too. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I bought it when it was on sale at Christmas along with my PS4 in order to expand out. But, um, I haven't had the time to sit down with it, partially because, like, I know it's a game you have to spend some time getting into. Um, or Anytime you want to play, I'm on PS4 as well. All right, all right. Well, sounds good. Um, I'll, I'll find you when I'm actually, like, uh, uh, conversant in how the game works. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, it's it seems really cool. The the thing I can't grasp, and maybe the, maybe you could speak to this and also like tie it into the end game, because I'm sure I am alone in uh, not being able to grasp this, and everyone is rolling their eyes at me uh, because I'm you know incredibly illiterate when it comes to some games. Um, like it seems on some level to be a game that obviously it's like a co op game uh, in some ways, or, or co op uh, slash PvP, but. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like there is, on one level, a very, very specific plot with very specific plot-based raids. Um, And then, on the other hand, it's also just kind of like... It's structured like an MMO with a sort of extended, long-term endgame where, like, people who are at a level cap kind of exist within the world and wait for the next event to drop to, um, you know... the, the. revisit the game or, or, you know, move a little further on in the plot. Um, which one of those do you think more rep- accurately represents Destiny 2, or is it actually like a mix between the two? Well, the interesting thing about Destiny 2 is that it is hard to pin down. Like, on a very, like, scratch-the-surface level, it's a first-person shooter. It's it's a looter shooter. You You shoot aliens in the face, and you get guns and armor that make you more powerful, that let you go take on more powerful enemies, and that just keeps going. 
so viscerally that that sounds like a fun scenario right but it's also got like you said it's got these raids and these other activities in the game with these big co-op modes where the puzzles are extremely challenging where it is like an mmo you've got things Mm -hmm. with different perks on them you've got okay this will be really good for this instance because it does this thing when this happens and then you play around trying to get these specific circumstances to happen that make you more powerful for a few seconds to like maximize them so there's a lot of min maxing going on within the game too and I think that's one of the reasons it's been massively successful is there's not a lot out there that's scratching all those itches for people. It's an extremely satisfying game to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because, like, of course, you get hints of this. I guess this is also what bothers people or sort of disappoints people so much about Destiny 2 is that, like, you get hints of this in... Um, you get versions of this, let me say, in other games. Like, you mentioned Warframe, and Warframe seems like it kind of scratches one version of the itch that Destiny gives you. And, of course, like... MMOs generally, World of Warcraft scratches another itch, particularly the min maxing and uh, you know the the basically like uh, trying to get drops, like you know just just basically doing missions to try and get rare drops and stuff like that. Um, and but like it doesn't seem like any game is actually touching on all of those things in the same way that Destiny is. Like Destiny at its best seems like it could be everything to everybody. Um, and so it must be just like so disappointing to see it not get there. Yeah, and that's one of the things it did really well. Um, certainly had its problems in the first version of the game. Um, that it it was absolutely unique. Um, it it was really satisfying to play. Like I mean, one thing about Destiny Destiny Two that no one can say that Bungie's messed up is it feels good to play in the world and shoot the guns. Like it's 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 got this feeling about it that Bungie has nailed that other people haven't. I've played a bunch of other first person, like I played Titanfall two. And while that was really fun and unique way to approach, like moving around the world, um, it, it, it doesn't feel smooth. It it almost Mm. feels, well, it feels too smooth almost like it's like really like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like you're interacting as much with the objects in the game. It's there's something about it. It's got like this special sauce and no one out there is doing it right now. And I think that's one of the reasons that I, I'm I'm just pure conjecture. They, they can kind of rest on their laurels a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. if Anthem, Anthem comes up and is following a very similar formula, which it is, um, and takes that mantle away, it, it's it's going to be hard times for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it sort of reminds me of, in some ways, what um, games like Battleborn or Lawbreakers were trying to do uh, to Overwatch, which is sort of like, in some ways, just kind of rested on its laurels. Like, you can, you see people complaining about Overwatch and saying, like, yeah, like, this game gets old and samey after a while. Um, and, you know, Blizzard says, well, here's a new character. Here's a new mini mode or something like that. And it's not it's not quite enough. Um, but there's nothing out there that's really a good alternative as like a squad-based uh, competition game. Um, mm-hmm. But if one came out, you would imagine that that could be a really bad thing for Blizzard in that case because they have sort of like not been listening to their audience. Um, yeah, I think that's super interesting. And like... So part of what I'm uh, part of what I want to ask you, especially about microtransactions. So like you said that a lot of the game is kind of bracketed off or a lot of the the recent game or the recent way the game has gone is bracketed off by uh, these microtransactions or or sort of like paywalls. Um, can you explain how that works? And then also uh, what that does to that dynamic you were describing where like people really want the game to survive um, or want that experience it promises, but the game can't always deliver it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, at its core, it's a looter shooter. You shoot things, you get better gear, you level up, you move on. Um, but one of the other things that I actually didn't mention is that it's it's a collection game too. There's people that like to get all the things in the game and tick off all these boxes. And in Destiny 1, there were a lot of things for the collection people or, you know, people that wanted to go do something hard to get something good. Um, there's specific like ships and sparrows, which is basically just like a space motorcycle you drive around in the world. Um, among other things that you could get as drops from really challenging content. And right. that, that was it in the first game the the, the in game microtransaction store is called the Eververse. Um, the things you could buy, you basically bought directly and they were like emotes that they were like motion cap to dance moves. Like they had the dab, they had the Dougie and stuff like that. It was, it was all silly and you could just be like, I want that. I'm going to spend the PlayStation money to get that. And I, I got it now. Destiny two what we've got in the Eververse is that almost all of the stuff that you would do harder end content to go get, like the ships, the sparrows, the the ghosts, which are like your little robotic friend that follows you around, um, <laughs> are all blocked behind the Eververse. And there's mm. no, I'm going to go buy it. You have to buy it in these, uh, well, all the drops that come in the game are in engrams. So the, the leveled up thing you get is called a bright engram at the Eververse store. You can get it by p- playing the game, hitting like a certain amount of XP, and then you can buy them. But they're they're not even essentially loot boxes. They're literally loot boxes. There's a random chance for different items in there. They're a bundle. You get what you get. And wow. if you see a certain, like an exotic sparrow or an exotic emote, which, which are re- actually really cool, that you want in the Eververse store, you can look at it. You can mouse over it and be like, oh man, that looks neat. I want to dance like that or whatever. Um, you can't directly buy it. So then you have to buy a bunch of these like packs and be like, all right, I'll get five of these for a discount. I'll get like 20 of them for an even bigger discount. So you just right. gam- you gamble. You pull that lever and see what comes out. And uh, I can I can go on more about that in like more detail, but I don't want to keep talking for like 15 minutes on it. No, no. I mean, I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing me talking. I mean, like the the... So you can't... Say I want an emote, like a particular emote in the Eververse. Um... What you're saying is like I would have to purchase the the loot boxes there. Is there any way to like is there any way to like get them in game and not pay any money for them? Oh yeah. Yeah, you can get them in game and not pay money for them. There's nothing currently in the Eververse from my understanding that you can't just get in the game. It's just they're really rare drops and the only way to get any of the items that are available specifically from the Eververse is either by every level up you get one of these bright engrams, which is just a a random number generated loot crate. Okay. Um, or purchasing it directly and some of the stuff you can and this is where it gets a little more complex like there's shaders that change color of your armor right if you get shaders you don't like from the eververse you can dismantle them and they turn into this currency that only works at the eververse it's called bright dust and if you disassemble enough of them just from leveling up or whatever then you can go buy directly what you want but that's it's it's a crazy amount. It's an insane amount of like hours you'd have to spend grinding or money you'd have to like try to get. I, someone did some math on it recently. I saw it on the subreddit um, to get like this like all the stuff from the last like live event we had in the dawning. Like I think it was a full armor set, which was only from the Eververse. Uh, it was either if you had really good RNG, you could get it for like sixty bucks. But if you had really <laughs> bad RNG, it's ten thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's just it's wild. It's absolutely wow. wild. So I mean, what's the? It just seems so strange to me that that they would punish. I guess this goes back to a previous point, like that they would punish the people who are so 
who are invested enough in the game that they talked about it and blogged about it or like streamed it or whatever and like actually kind of spread the unique quality of destiny out there like the collectors seem to be the people you'd want to most encourage to be part of your game because they're so committed and also what else are they going to do with their collections but show them off um, which is going to bring more players in it's like odd to me that they are effectively punishing them yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And now, to their credit, I mean, Bungie has, before Christmas, uh, put out a big post talking about the state of Destiny 2. Um, and this was after the first major DLC dropped called The Curse of Osiris. Which, excuse me, I'm sorry, that was... Um, that, which That's was actually okay. really, really good. Uh, it was a good um, It was a good expansion. It was short, but it was out three months after the game dropped. But um, they put out this post saying, here's what's going on in Destiny 2. Um and we're like, okay, cool. They go away from Christmas. They come back. They say, okay, here's the dev notes. That, here's what we're working on. Here's how we're outlining it. We're trying to do better communication. Um, and one of the things they said was, like, the community was on fire about the Eververse. And they're saying, okay, we've got to address the Eververse. We understand that it's way too tilted towards, like, the microtransaction store, for back of a, lack of a better term, um, than what we intended. So we're going to be moving, like, the, specifically the things I mentioned, the ghost ships and sparrows, back into stuff where you earn it in-game. Um and I, I don't know if there's going to be direct purchase options or not. I'm not sure. Um, so th- they're working on the problem. They got, so I got to give them credit where credit is due there. But the, encouraging the collectors to go back to your point is something that they absolutely should be doing. And that goes back to something else that's a problem in Destiny 2 that I hadn't mentioned yet, which is vault space. Something where you put mm. your stuff that you're not using. Uh, there's not enough. There isn't anywhere close to enough. So even if you wanted to get everything in the game, there's no place to put it. You have to delete some of it. Really? Can you buy more vault space? You cannot. Wow. See, that seems like a microtransaction that people would jump on. I actually, in all of the discussions I've seen about the Eververse, and I spent a lot of time on this, uh, it's not something I'd seen mentioned before. <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe that's just because I'm looking at it from the outside. That's interesting. And, like, so one of the things from an, as, from an outsider's perspective looking at Destiny 2 is, like, Every conflict and every controversy about the game seems to be something where people get really, really mad at Bungie as a first response. And then there's sort of like a reactive response where people say like, hey, look, like it's not Bungie's fault. There's like a lot going on here. And then there's like a third reaction where people say, stop defending Bungie. Like this game is trash. And like these seem to be the the ping ponging back and forth. But as a result, it's really hard for me as an outsider to sort of see like, okay, like, what are the problems in this game and what's being fixed uh, and what's not being fixed? And, you know, like, I was reading something. Was there, like, a was there a problem with, with like, grouping? Uh, with, like, grouping up with particular people? Was that an issue going on, going on recently? Um, there's... There's always been some issues with that. There's something they're talking about specifically right now is that the high-end game content uh, is basically three things there's the co-op modes which is a raid which is six people there's the nightfall which is just one of the smaller strike missions which is three people and then there's the trials of a trials of the nine is the current version and that's four people pvp that's like elite level hardcore pvp um and there's no matchmaking for any of it now they have a system in place called guided games where you can like voluntarily offer to help people through the 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 two pve content specifically the nightfall and the raid right the queue times are outrageous. Like you could sit in queue if you want to wait and try to like get picked up by a group that's already ready. If you don't have a lot of friends that play the game and you want to do the raid, it's 
I mean, people are sitting there from 15 minutes sometimes to over an hour, and there's no wow. indication about, there's no sound. Like, if you, like, I'm, you've been sitting in there for 15 minutes, let's say you're one of the people that had to wait an hour. You're like, I'm going to go clean the dishes or something or listen to some music. I'm not just going to stare at my television. There's no audio cue. There's no way to let you know if you're not sitting <laughs> at your television looking. So then you get in the spot, and if you're not active, you get kicked out. Oh, wow. That is awful. Yeah, so I mean, it's a great idea. You want to help other people match with other people in-game instead of having to use Reddit to go find people for matchmaking. I get it. But the implementation is so half-baked, it seems like like a lot of things in this game. It's like, where... Did you guys finish this? <laughs> Does this need to get, like, day one patches, like, every day? Yeah, I guess that's, like, the... <laughs> I guess that's, like, the odd thing to me when you when you describe this. Like, it doesn't... It feels almost like it's made by someone who... For, for whom everything was lost in translation. Like, the 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 things that are missing in the game seem to be things that are missing that anyone who's played a video game or anyone who has the experience of playing these games would not have missed. Um, like, people don't like to sit in long queues to wait for... to play multiplayer. People don't... People don't like having content be completely randomized so that they have to open, you know, like... 40 or 50 boxes to get the thing they want like this is just kind of like i mean i hesitate to say it but it's like it's it's obvious right like for all the smart stuff bungie does this just seems like either willful ignorance or or really really bad reading of their audience oh absolutely um one of the frequent critiques that we see uh, across the community especially when you're looking at people like complaining about the balance in the pvp for instance but now in destiny 2 over everything it's like bungie do you even play your game like how is there, there's things missing from destiny one that was in there by the end of the game a lot of quality of life improvements that are just not in destiny two and they're huh. rolling it back out and some of them we're not going to get until fall a full year wow. after the game launched As, that's so strange and like i guess like so what i would ask getting back to microtransactions is so how does it make how does it make you or the general community feel when this stuff is already behind but also bungie is asking for more money to access the stuff that you, I mean, I think like a lot of people in the community would have expected to be there on launch. Well, and here's where I definitely want to make something clear right now. The stuff that's locked behind any kind of paywall uh, for microtransactions is none, none of it's pay to win. You can get okay. some random, okay. very low level mods that do nothing, but those are a dime a dozen. So technically you can buy mods, but you got 20 of them sitting there exactly like it already. None of those are game breaking. So none of it's pay to win which is good to their credit. That's good. But um, I'm such an outlier in this in that the the community is basically split into two camps right now. There's people that are saying, you know, we love this game. Let's get behind it. You know, even though there were some insane management decisions that went on with this game and the development cycle, um, the developers, the artists, the sound engineers, all those people are top-notch and doing their best. So if we've got a problem, we've got a problem with management. And then there's the other people that some of the employees at Bungie that are on Twitter and I follow a lot of them, they'll post something like, hey, like one of them just had a kid like on Christmas mm-hmm. and he had a, this, this little baby daughter. And he's like, this is the best gift I could have ever asked for, you know, just cute parent stuff. And that's awesome. And yeah. like the, the posts immediately fix your game. Your game sucks. And it's just, <laughs> what are you here about? So it's, it's brutal. It's, it's brutal. It's super polarizing. The microtransaction things bother me, um, especially because they throttled XP without telling people. And then mm. once they got caught, like there's a cycle that um, I don't remember if it was uh, Jason Schreier at Kotaku or the other Kirk Hamilton, I believe is his name, the other writer that basically said, here's how things go in Destiny. There appears to be a problem. The community, right. 
says, you know, hey, that this looks to be an issue. No information comes from Bungie. We're going to figure out this issue. And they go and they figure it out. And then Bungie says, oh, yeah, that's a problem. We didn't mean for that to be the case. So we're going to be more communicative in the future. And then silence, just crickets. Hmm. So they were, they were throttling XP behind the scenes, not telling anyone. So XP is just after you hit like the certain level cap in the game, you just get one of those bright engrams every time you level up. You don't okay. level up anymore, but you get these randomized loot boxes that have stuff in them that people might want. So that's how you play the game to not buy microtransactions if you want to go that route, which is fine. I get that. Yeah. So it's basically turning remove- it into bartering. Yeah, basically. I mean, then that's fine. I expect to play your game and then eventually get rewarded for playing your game because I'm still investing time after I've finished everything. <laughs> right, of course. Like that, that's how you do stuff. Um, but then they're like, okay, yeah, well, there's throttling happening in ways we weren't expecting, but they didn't say anything about it until after they got caught. So there's already suspicion there. And then hmm. they were like, all right, we're moving all the throttling because we want to make sure that all games are going to be equally accessible. They provide the same amount of XP to everyone no matter how you choose to play Destiny. Fine. Hmm. And then they doubled the XP required to get a new level because that's the, that's the stuff that you do to access the stuff behind the paywall for free. What? I mean, it's just like, I mean, I know like my questions in this are mostly like, what is going on at that studio? Like, do you think that this is willful ignorance or um, like they really think they're doing their best here? I think that's the distressing thing is we, we we don't know and Bungie are so bad about communicating it's it's become a huge joke over the years that Destiny's been out because Bungie's always out on their social media or in the subreddit or in the forum saying we appreciate all your feedback we're listening and they hammer that point where we're listening give us your feedback we're listening and everyone's <laughs> like oh yeah Bungie you're listening you may be listening but you're not doing you know and they're basically getting to the point now where they're they're saying all right we're going to do better at communicating again we promise this is going to be better. And to their credit, since the end of last year and the new year, they have been doing better. Mm-hmm. But it's they've cried wolf too many times. Like, uh, yeah, they just messed up again with the latest live event. Like it's and they <laughs> they said we didn't communicate a, a, the this live event. You can get weapons, right? And weapons and armor. That's a seasonal thing. It's fun. You want to collect them if you're one of those people. Uh, they didn't tell us that this one, they were just not dropping any of the weapons except every week that, or every iteration of this thing that happens once a month, they'll be adding one ep- weapon in every time, Weird. Which, is, which is brand new. They'd never done that before. They're yeah. like, yeah, you guys aren't crazy. Nothing's dropping right now because we're doing it one weapon every like month that this is active during this season. We really dropped the ball in this communication wise. And we're just, are you kidding? The thing immediately after you said you're going to be doing better communication. Like, like I said, it's like crying wolf, man. Like, I don't believe you anymore. Like, why, yeah. why would I believe you? Yeah, and it, it's, it's a strange thing, too, because it goes back to that, the, the question of microtransactions from before. I mean, it's, it would be so much cheaper to hire someone who is able to communicate with the fans. Like, hire a Twitter manager. Hire someone who can, like, actually respond to people, even if you're a small studio, instead of, like, instead of trying to pay out all of that lost money that you're getting from, you know, customers that aren't happy with you by, uh, yeah, by pulling them back in with microtransactions. Like, it totally makes sense why that would be the case, but it also makes sense why that would be so disappointing as a fan. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And hmm. it's it's just, everyone's reached the end of the rope with it. And the thing about microtransactions, specifically touching on that, is that they don't make most of their money there off of people that buy a bunch of little stuff. They're looking for like the big whales, the people that'll drop like a hundred, 200 bucks at a time. Yeah. Cause that, that, that's where they're making all their money on it. And 
for better or for worse, we're stuck with it. Eververse isn't going anywhere because they're making money off of it. And I sympathize, like we talked about at the beginning, like it costs a lot of money. The prices of AAA games have largely not gone up. People cost money. Games are hard to make. I get it. But at some point, I've got to stop apologizing for the company I'm buying a product from. Yeah. That's not my job as a fan. No, and it's not your job as a consumer either. Like even even in sort of like the most happy-go-lucky uh, libertarian view of, of capitalism, which of course this podcast doesn't take. Like the, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not your job. It's not your job to apologize for the company. The company should be giving you something you like, um, and and are happy to pay for. I guess I'd ask like, I mean, you have a lot of really interesting thoughts on microtransactions and 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 the pressures that cause them and and everything. I mean, how would is there anything you can think of that would, uh, I mean, that would impact or change this, this moment of, of microtransaction, uh, and, you know, high budget, low yield video games. Is there anything that you would do to like change this for the better? I think it would have to be kind of two pronged. And the first one is something that a lot of people aren't going to like. You got to up the price <laughs> of the base game. You got to yep. bring it up more. It's crazy what you're getting for $60, which is already a lot of money. But when you look at what you're getting, it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, I mean, 10 bucks, 10 bucks spread over. I mean, $70 isn't that much more of a stretch for most people than 60. It's not like I'm asking you to pay a hundred for a full game. I don't like it. I don't want to spend that extra money on something, but I'd rather be getting a fully fleshed out product. That's fair. So like the devs aren't being leaned on to work longer hours because they need to ship a product. Cause I know that's what's going to happen inside. Be like, all right, we either got to pay you less. You got to work longer or both because we need this product. And there's this expectation that it's going to cost this much. Right. Um, so there's that. And then in terms of just microtransactions in general, I, I get the idea properly implemented that have a soft impact on any major title or, or free to play game, but that's an entirely different category because that's how they support it. Um, but for something like destiny Two specifically, or like battlefront or whatever, um, or well, even Overwatch, they got loot boxes in there too. Yeah, um, absolutely. The stuff that I think is good in there, or for people that want to spend that little bit of extra money, are things obviously that excuse me, obviously that aren't going to be pay to win. Um, and I, I personally, I was fine with the way it was in Destiny One. Let me buy a, a crazy dance that looks silly, and I can just use it in game. And after I like, you know, domed a guy with a sniper across the map, I, he can see me <laughs> on the kill feed, and I'm just doing like you know just like dabbing on him or something like that and let me pay for let me pay for it directly like don't lock the paywall or don't make it a paywall and then a loot box like it that's that that's manipulative practice to dissociate the money that you spent from the items you earn deliberately yes absolutely that's a very good way of putting it actually i think that's the best uh description of a microtransaction i've ever heard uh yeah no problem so um I will be frank with the audience. I am I am starting to fade, and I told Pete be- why I was starting to fade because uh, we are recording this the night the Eagles beat the Vikings, and uh, I realized that uh, much of what was keeping me awake was my emotions with it. But <laughs> I I also think that we've come to I I really like that conclusion. I was, we're we're a little short, but people always complain about the length, so they'll like this. Um, I really like that definition, that idea of like, uh, you know the the intersection of value there effectively. Um, I mean, is there anything that you'd add about microtransactions and like the, the, the balance in destiny Two and all, all the interesting stuff you talked about? Um, I, I think I would just end on basically saying, um, 
I'd, I'd like to reiterate that I'm 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 pro Bungie. I love the game. Uh, I have collectively between D one and D two. I have over a thousand hours sunk into the game. So I'm not a casual by any means. I want the game <laughs> to get better. I understand and I empathize with the problems. Um, fix fix the microtransactions back to something where you know, like I said, don't dissociate the money I'm spending from the item I get because that's extremely manipulative, and we can tell. We know. Yeah. Like we're not we're not idiots. Um, you got to keep your communication open, Bungie. Uh, and I know you're not listening necessarily to me directly talking to you or anything like that, but <laughs> maybe um, we have people who are listening at Dev at uh, Development Studios. I don't think Bungie, well, but maybe. Well, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't mean like you're not listening to this. I was just saying like just no, no. Well. I know. I was just saying you you could be you could be addressing them directly. That'd be fantastic, and um, <laughs> that would that'd be great. I I'm not going to pretend like I've got the answers, but I've spent enough time in the community and reading people, and I interact very carefully because it it's complex. I empathize, like I've said. Um, Keep your communication going. Start doing, and we'll come back and play. I'm still playing. I'm playing Destiny One mostly, but I'm still playing. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting, especially playing Destiny One as opposed to Destiny Two. I hope they do listen. I, I I think you bring up a lot of interesting points and a lot of good points. It's not just. I think where I'd end is that what fascinates me about this, and and I came into it blind in a way, but we talked about what we were going to talk about. And like, what fascinates me about this is that you enter microtransactions from a position where you're not mad necessarily about the microtransactions. You're mad about the way they're being mobilized. And that, I think, is a really unique position and probably a position that a lot of people feel, though, even if they haven't vocalized it yet. I I think so. I try to come at things with like a, a rational viewpoint. Like, I want to understand both sides before I'm just saying, like, no, I don't want to spend extra money on a game I've already spent full price for. But <laughs> it... The way it was promised, at least to us originally, was that it's going to keep the game afloat while we're working on the, like the next iteration. Got it. Sure, you got to pay to keep the lights on. I'm happy to do that. Just don't manipulate it. It's it's in its yeah. current form. It's manipulative. Hmm. Well, Pete, thank you so much for being on. This is really really great. I uh, you are you are efficient and uh, and concise and evocative in your thinking. So I you know please come on anytime you'd like. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Um, yeah, people thank you can follow. Yeah, of course. People can follow you at LightScript, L-I-T-E uh, script. Uh, they should. Uh, good follow. And also at uh, nice underscore underscore Pete for your Twitch streaming stuff. Is there anything else you want to you want to uh, plug? Uh, no, that's really it. Um, I'm just my personal Twitter is uh, it, whatever it is. Um, the, the other <laughs> one is just for like, yeah, I also do DJ streams. Um, randomly throughout the week. So I live stream those and they're all archived on there as well. So if you follow that, you'll see the link. Um, and then come check me out on Twitch, uh, which same thing, same username, nice double underscore Pete. Um, I play a lot of Destiny. I've started to stream some Assassin's Creed, some Fortnite very occasionally just because that, that game is engaging and yeah, interesting and, fu- and, and fu- fun to look at too. It's a, it's a beautiful compelling game. world. Yeah. I was really surprised how much I liked the look of the game, honestly. Yeah, me too. Really, I was really like, really is this going to be too cartoony? And then I played it. I was like, this is great. I like it. exactly what I thought. I was like, eh, I don't know, man, like this might just be too much. And then I played it. I was like, wow, it's like, it's actually kind of great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, man. I will be checking out your Twitch stream. Everyone else should as well. And uh, please uh, come back, come back. Actually, you know what? Come back when um, we have a chance to play some Destiny 2 together uh, where we can share some some thoughts about it because co-op and uh, and microtransactions and Destiny are all stuff that. I feel like I should know more about before I talk about, but I want to talk about more and more daily. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Um, you 
we obviously are mutuals on Twitter, so just hit me up on there. I'm happy to play Destiny. I, I play it a lot. So sounds good, man. All right. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, follow follow Pete at Lightscript and at Nice underscore underscore Pete, and we'll see you next time. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Congrats on the Eagles. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>